Just Thinking with hosts Dara Harrison and Virgil Walker, bringing you week-to-week cultural apologetics as well as social issues from a biblical worldview. This is Just Thinking. Let's think. We're back. It's another edition of the Just Thinking podcast. I am Virgil Walker. And I am Daryl Harrison. What's going on in Nebraska, Oma? <laughs> See, man, I'm not even trying to laugh at you tonight, man. I can't even do it. <clears throat> I'm, I'm trying to come over this cold. And I know, man. The- you 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 recorded with one lung, man. And I'm, I'm you're gonna have me hacking up the other one, man. It's here in, a, <laughs> here in a bit, man. It is crazy, bro. I've been I've been down under the weather, man, for near about a week. I have never, believe me when I tell you this, I have never been down uh, sick this long. Last week, um, I man, I, I I think I laid in the bed for three days, and and you know me, you know I, I'm up and out early and all of that stuff. So yeah, man, you missed the GNC, you right? Right. Conscious health. Health guy here, man, but you know that ain't nothing but Satan, man, trying to hold us down, bro. Man, man. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, I'm that got to be the devil. But, man, I'm. We need to, to rebuke that, man. That ain't nothing but the devil trying to not have us record these episodes. No, man, man I'm definitely not having it. I'm going to keep, I'm going to press on through it, man, and get, do what, let it do what it do. And uh, I've got, I've got my cough button here. I'll push, push the mute so I can, I can go ahead and cough like I need to. I've got my water. I've got double, double portions of that. So we're, we're good to go, man. I, I was telling you, man, as we kind of got got teed up, man. Uh, we had to record, man. I'm I'm getting a lot of a lot of feedback in this geography in particular. What's interesting is, you know, East Coast, West Coast, Left Coast, Right Coast, or however you have you de- de- you know determine it are are you know always your early adopters, you know, and so yep. Yep. Um, you know as far as the folks who listen to the show, I mean, we got a and, and interestingly enough, we get a lot of followers from da- the Dallas market as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Let, let's talk about that for a second because sure, I was going to sure. shout out to all our listeners in the Dallas Fort Worth area because there's certain data on our podcast that we have access to, and one of those data points is we can tell which. Uh, metro areas, which uh, um, the word I'm trying to to think of, domestic. Yes, yeah. we can we can track which domestic markets are our top markets mm-hmm. uh, as far as downloads go. Okay, right, so we can't right. we have no data on stream number of streams, listeners, and things like that. But we do have data on our top domestic markets when, in terms of downloads, and for some reason, unbeknown to us. Dallas Fort Worth is our number one market. Wow. Closely followed. Closely. I mean, within like a couple hundred downloads, very closely followed by LA. Wow. So, but Dallas is so, so if any of you are listening to this episode, hit me a Virgil up or hit Dwayne up at Dwayne uh, 21 mm-hmm. on Twitter. Hit us up on Twitter and let us know, man, if you're in the Dallas Fort Worth area, what is it about the show that you like? Why do you listen? Because oh, that's good. You, yeah, neither you or I, Virgil. I don't think Dwayne, uh, to my knowledge, we don't have any direct uh, connection or relationship mm-hmm. with Not anyone in church, no. uh, any ministry in Dallas. But for some reason, week after week after week, mm-hmm. Dallas Fort Worth is holding it down as our number one market. L.A. is number two, and then my hometown of ATL, Atlanta, is number three. So. 
If y'all yeah, listening to the Dallas-Fort Worth area, hit us up. Let us know what's up. Absolutely, man. That's good stuff. It, it, it's crazy to me because Omaha is just a slow adopted market. I mean, it's the Midwest. You know, they, they're not they're going to be slow to come on board. Now, once they get there, they're incredibly loyal. But, man, it's just, you know, when, when I was in, in pharmaceutical sales, we knew that, you know, California would blow it out. Even Dallas, you know, some of those high metropolitan areas would blow it out. And, you know, if you were in, if you're in Omaha or Iowa, you're thinking, ah, we'll get there. And once we do, we'll be all right. But, um, I've, I've, it's been crazy since, uh, we came back from, uh, from doing the Truth Matters conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, and folks kind of got caught wind that, that, that I was out there with you, that we got a chance to meet. And slowly but surely, folks have missed. Hey, I listen to the podcast, and I listen. I, you know, like the like what I'm hearing. But man, you know, we 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 took just a week just to kind of recalibrate after the conference. And man, folks came at me like, "Are you not going to record another episode?" I'm thinking, now we've got a lot. We got a library full of episodes for y'all to go back and listen to. Now, I mean, let's not get it twisted. <laughs> Right, right, right. So, but but no, people are really, uh, really starting to pick up and and uh, like what they're hearing and are being informed by what we do. And so, man, just just shout out to my own hometown, man, here in Omaha. It's been uh, it's been encouraging to see, uh, you know, to get the feedback from folks. Hey, love the show, like the show, um, enjoy what you guys share, enjoy your point of view, enjoy Daryl and you know, and and what what you guys bring to the table. So, man, it's it's been it's been good. So I couldn't wait, man, to to get on with you and, and to, and to talk about the topic we're going to, we're going to leap off into tonight. I couldn't wait on this topic for a number of reasons. I'm not going to give it all away up front, but, uh, but man, I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to sharing with you what, what's on my mind and heart with regard to this and, uh, and, and watching you kind of tee up what, what you've got in store for the listener for tonight. So. Well, first of all, before we get into the topic, man, I want to join you in saying thank you to all of our new listeners there where you are in Omaha, yeah. Thanks for tuning in to the Just Thinking Podcast. I guess, Omaha, what we need to toss around, maybe an, an idea that could get us together out there where you are. We could do mm-hmm. a live podcast out there. Oh, bro. let's Yeah, that's Omaha. Maybe we could uh, make it connected to your role there at, at your church there, Westside Baptist yep. Church in yep, Omaha, yep. where you are. Uh, but uh, if we don't can give get, them uh, ideas, man, I can, I can, <laughs> I can already see some folks chomping at the bit for that one, man. So yeah, that'd be that'd be a lot of fun, man, for sure. Well, I know you're not feeling 100, percent and just uh, so our listeners will be aware, Omaha insisted that we record this episode. I wanted Absolutely. to put it off another week because I knew Omaha wasn't feeling well. He wasn't feeling totally himself. He's still under the weather, as you could probably hear. Yeah, a little but bit. He insisted he insisted. Matter of fact, Omaha insisted so insistently that we do this episode. He thought that if we didn't do a new one, our listeners would rebel. They would riot. <laughs> right, 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 right. So I would like I would like to think that our listeners are, are a little bit more self disciplined than that. But I don't know, man. Time will tell. <laughs> so here we are. <laughs> here we are, Omaha. Here we are again. Blessed to be back together for another Absolutely. episode of the Just Thinking Podcast. But before we go any further, my brother, from one military veteran to another, I want to wish you a belated Happy Veterans Day. Absolutely, man. You and all the veterans out there. Absolutely. So thank you for your service, my thank brother. Thank you. Absolutely, man. I was on, honored to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but before we move on, I have to ask you, though, were you aware that not only was November 11th Veterans Day, right? But that, that day was also Encourage Your Ethnic Friend Day. 
Were you aware of that? <laughs> I was only made aware of that because you sent me some tweet about it. And I, I, I just, I couldn't believe it. I was like, what, what is this? Yeah, that's right. Bro. It brought encourage your ethnic friend day was also on November 11th. I'm surprised you weren't aware of that. I was unaware. Uh, yeah. Encourage your ethnic friend day. At least that's what I call it. Right. I named it that on the basis of a tweet that Beth Moore sent back on November 10th. And in that tweet, Beth Moore wrote that some black female friends of hers had encouraged her or exhorted her to offer encouragement specifically to her friends who are black. Mm -hmm. So when I saw that, I'm like, hey, that sounds like an absolutely fantastic idea to me. <laughs> I'm like, it sounds so fantastic. In fact, I'm like, why not make it an observance for white people too? Absolutely. Equal opportunity so, offender. So with that epiphany <laughs> resting freshly upon my brain, right? I, I took it upon myself to designate November 11th as Encourage Your Ethnic Friend Day. Wow. So the white, so just so white people and, and people of, of other ethnicities wouldn't feel left out right. by Moore's sanctimonious and condescending display of pandering. Right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I mean, after all, Omaha, given this emotive, hypersensitive, and tribalist culture in which we live nowadays, the last thing we want to do here on the Just Thinking Podcast is leave anyone out. No, nah, you don't. No, no, you got to be an equal opportunity offender. That's for sure. No doubt about it. It was ha happy ethnic. Encouragement day, man. I, when it, I saw it, it was encourage your ethnic friend. Gotcha. Encourage your ethnic friend. Your ethnic. Right. I thought it. I thought it was crazy. You know, and my thought was, why does it matter what ethnicity you are regarding your need for encouragement? Uh, the, the, the need, the, the need to cow to the powers that be in the woke world are absolutely astounding. I mean, does this prove somehow that you're not racist since you can identify some black friends to say something good about? I thought the timing was just very curious, very curious <laughs> the timing of that tweet by Beth Moore. I'm like, wow, is, 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 2019, is 2019 the first year that she's had black friends? Right, 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 right. And then, and then who, who are these pitiful people who need ethnic empathy and encouragement anyway? I'd be offended if the primary driver of the outreach was due to the fact that I had a certain level of melanin in my skin. That's kind of crazy. Right. And that, that's that's so weird, man. So I just wanted to mention that at the top <laughs> of this episode that, yes, we did that tweet by Beth Moore. And I thought it was a fantastic idea to encourage your <laughs> ethnic friend. So I just want to do that right now, bro, especially since you're not feeling that well. Right. I just want to encourage you, my ethnic brother, my ethnic <laughs> friend. And I just hope you I know I know my melanin is a little bit a shade darker than yours. Right, right, right. You've got enough melanin, man. Well, I think you you're warranted to be celebrated. Well, on this good, day. good, man. I, I make happy the cut. Belated, happy belated, encourage your ethnic friend, day. <laughs> I guess I need to take that, right? You better take it. Right? It's coming from me, man. Right. Come on. And 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 he, and he, it was it, yeah that, that 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 is true. And then at the at the end of the day, it may be that it's I only get one one of these days a year, so I better I better right. really absorb it, right? Right. You better listen. You better milk this for all you all can. it's worth, right? Because <laughs> you only get one of these a year. One of these a year. Got it. I'm right. on it.
I'm on it. I'm on it. I'll, I'll hit you up again once November 11, 2020 rolls around. Sounds we'll good. We'll do it all over again. We'll right? do it all over again. <laughs> sounds good, man. <laughs> that sounds like a plan. Let's let's make that happen. Beth Moore. Oh my goodness. Anyway. Good night. So, so my brother, with that bit of housekeeping taken care of, let's get down to business, shall we? Let's do it. So we've titled this episode Politics and the Black Church. <clears throat> Politics and the Black Church, and you could just as well title it Politics and Black Christians. And I hope as our listeners and as this episode progresses, uh, our listeners will understand why we titled it that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on November 2nd, on November 2nd, 2019, just a few days ago, black man by the name of Bishop Paul S. Morton, Bishop is his ecclesiastical title. His given name is Paul S. Morton. Morton is the founder of the Full Gospel Baptist Church Fellowship International. I know that's a mouthful. But Paul Morton is the founder of the Full Gospel Baptist Church Fellowship International, or FGBCFI. On November 2nd, Paul Morton sent the following tweet from his personal Twitter account. Okay. His tweet said this, quote, Dems. D-E-M-S, that's abbreviation for Democrats. Dems, I pray you will use wisdom in voting. Being too liberal will not win. I am not homophobic, but it is definitely not the time for POTUS, that's the acronym P-O-T-U-S, President of the United States. It is definitely not the time for President of the United States to be a man with his husband up there by his side. There are those of us who love everybody, but we believe in the biblical definition of marriage, unquote. Mm -hmm. This was from Bishop Paul S. Morton from his personal Twitter account on November 2nd, 2019. Now, following what you're about to hear me quote now are just a sample of some of the, I don't know, dozens Mm -hmm. of comments that Morton received in response to the tweet that I just read. And as you listen to these listeners, as you hear me quote these comments, please keep in mind again that I am citing these comments and quoting these comments verbatim. Mm -hmm. Okay, I have not edited. I've not tweaked any of these. So these are verbatim responses to Bishop Paul Morton's tweet from November 2nd, 2019. I have nine of these to read through. I'm just going to go through them one by one. One person said, wow, this is homophobic. Another person said, this is ugly, terrible, misguided, and mean. Someone else said, and this is why people are leaving the church. (laughs) Someone said, this is literally the reason I left the church. There is no need for this hatred from you or from any pulpit. You're an absolute embarrassment. One man said, go to hell. Someone else said, that's homophobia. Stop using the Bible to defend your bigotry. Someone said, people who say they're not homophobic are the ones who most definitely are. This is ridiculous and shameful. One other person said, hate is a sad legacy for a book that tells us the greatest commandment is to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And then lastly, someone said to Morton, you are not a Christian not with this hate in your heart. Wow. So those are nine verbatim comments that Paul Morton got in response to his tweet on November the 2nd, 
man, let me so, interrupt you just for just a second, ahead, man, I, because you, you just read a lot of, like, I mean, we could we could do a show and exegete that all, those comments right there. We I really mean, we could. could. We really, really could. really could, and and then line them up and examine them against the backdrop of scripture, and and expose because these these are the prime. You grab there were hundreds. I, I went back and looked. Okay. There were hundreds that you 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 grabbed. You know, I mean, this is a, a fantastic sampling of everything that people were saying during that time frame. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and these are the Go arguments. Here. And, and let me read, let me reread Morton's quote again, his tweet rather. Let me reread his, his tweet. I'm going to quote him again. Democrats, I pray you will use wisdom in voting. Being too liberal will not will win, will not win. Now he's referring to the presidential election in 2020, November 2020. Mm-hmm. Being too liberal will not win. He's warning Democrats. I am not homophobic, he says, but it is definitely not the time for, for President of the United States to be a man with his husband up there by his side. There are those of us who love everybody, but we believe in the biblical definition of marriage, unquote. That was what Paul Morton's tweet said on November 2nd, 2019. And I just read nine of the hundreds of responses that he got mm-hmm. in return. Now, for the sake of our listeners, I want to say at the outset of this episode that I became aware of this tweet by Bishop Paul Morton only because someone on Twitter tagged me in it. Now, had it not been for that, I likely would never have known that Morton said what he did. Now, I mentioned that not as an apology per se, but to say that it very often happens on social media, especially on Twitter, that people will of their own volition just tag you or me, Omaha, out of nowhere, simply in an effort to bring to our attention a political issue, a particular issue or topic, knowing that our podcast has remained true to its mission statement of applying biblical truth to the social, cultural, political, <laughs> and theological issues in our world. Mm-hmm. And I would venture to say that, that, that of those four categories, right, the social, cultural, political, and theological issues in our world, of those four categories, in the nearly 100 episodes of the Justin Gay podcast that we've recorded to date, the classification political is probably the one category of the four that we delve into the least. Yeah. Yeah. Now that hasn't necessarily been by design mind you, but it's just the way it's turned out over the course of the podcast of the four topics categorically that we address on this podcast, social, cultural, political, and theological Political is probably the category that we've delved into the least. Yeah, we don't we don't talk a lot of politics on this episode. We really don't. Mm-hmm. Now, today's topic could very well be regarded as political, but that's not the only label that applies to what we're going to be discussing today. Now, I've often said Omaha that for the Christian anyway, politics is theology. Mm. Okay, politics is theology. And what makes the topic we're dealing with with in this episode so different, that means, uh, by that I mean that it's not just political, okay? What makes this topic that we're dealing with today so different is that it's not purely political in nature as it has elements and aspects of both politics and theology that warrant our thoughtful and discerning conversation and discussion. You got any thoughts on that, Omar? Yeah, I'll, just, I'll begin by amening kind of what you said about being tagged on on Twitter, um, you know, by by those who who check out topics, fans of the show, they'll tag us in articles, and some of them provide good fodder for topics. And and at other other times, I'm thinking, what in the world 
or or yeah. or or even you know or even the the idea that that maybe they they're covering something that they thought we hadn't seen and maybe you and I've already talked about it in any event it's all it's always good for us to hear from listeners uh, of the show now as for bishop paul morton his name only it comes up uh only comes up one, once or twice every 4 years when when his contemporaries can be counted upon to deliver the black masses to vote uh, for for said particular Democratic candidate. You mentioned the fact mm-hmm. that Bishop uh, Paul Morton is the founder of the Full Gospel Baptist Church Fellowship International. That is a mouthful, man. Mouthful, I, man. I, wow. Yeah, I, I had to go back and look because I thought I remembered the word black in that title somewhere in the denomination. However, I couldn't, I couldn't find it because it's not there. And uh, mm-hmm. some of our listeners may be unaware of who Bishop Paul Morton is or why he's even relevant. I remember, and I know you do too, in the 90s when Bishop Paul Morton and other other black church leaders uh, were, were wrestling with this new denomination. Um, mm-hmm. they, were, yep. they were basically seeing historically uh, Baptist churches, predominantly historically black Baptist churches, dwindle in size and, and, and impact. They were losing membership to their charismatic and Pentecostal contemporaries with brand new preachers on the scene like T.D. Jakes, uh, my, my old pastor, Bishop uh, Carlton Pearson. Uh, they were mm-hmm. beginning to, mer- to emerge with such a large influence. And Morton had, had Pentecostal roots. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and as he hailed from the Church of God in Christ Canada. Now, mm-hmm. the Church of God in Christ worldwide is the largest black Pentecostal denomination in the world. And however, Baptists still hold a stronghold in the black community. So seeing an opportunity to merge kind of Baptist and Pentecostals, they're also known as Bapticostals, together, Bishop mm-hmm. Morton founded what became known as the Full, full Gospel Baptist, uh, who held all of all of the emotionalism in worship with the sign gifts, uh, along with the spirit and the tradition uh, or traditional aspects of Baptist church polity and ecclesiology. So that I just I, I pulled that just to give give some of our listeners who I know you and I are very familiar with Bishop Paul Morton. And, yes. and if you're if you if you've been in black church circles for any period of time, you've 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 known him and seen him on the scenes from the early 90s. Uh, on through to, to where we are today. But for those of you who've never heard of him, have no idea why uh, he's important. That, that, that's, that's kind of his background. This is, it, this is important in that Bishop Morton is not simply representing himself in his comments. And as the founding bishop, he has an important voice in, black, in the black circles he represents. That The Full Gospel Baptist Church Fellowship International, they, they report somewhere in the neighborhood, the numbers I could find, uh, 97, they claimed a million members uh, nationwide and then 5,000 churches throughout the United States. And some reports report even has upwards of, of 2 million members. So Bishop Morton is not simply representing himself when he says what he says. So that, I, thought, I thought that might be that might serve as, as some background and context for those who may not have any idea who he is. Yeah, that, that's some very helpful information there, Omaha, because one of the things that we're about on the Just Thinking podcast is not just talking about a particular subject or topic, but talking about that subject or topic in context, mm. right? So we hammer that home every time we get behind the microphones. Context is critical to everything that we discuss on this podcast. Now, lest anyone be mistaken, the tweet I read earlier from Bishop Paul Morton has less to do with the politics of Paul Morton. Mm-hmm. As you just said, oh, mom, you just said that it's not just about him. That, that tweet has less to do with the politics of Paul Morton 
and who he suggests Christians support for president in 2020, it has more to do with the theology of professing Christians in terms of influencing their theology, influencing who they support for political office. Mm-hmm, okay, so that's mm-hmm. a broader issue here. Now, I say that because Morton's tweet and the subsequent response to, responses to it that I read earlier raised a much larger and more significant question of, as Christians, to what degree, to what degree does or should our theological worldview shape our worldview of politics? That's huge. That's that's really the question that that's Paul Morton raises. Okay, mm-hmm. so it's not about Paul Morton. It's about a much, much larger topic and issue than that. And that question is to what degree does or should our theological worldview shape our worldview of politics? Now, that question intrinsically presumes two things, okay? One, that those who profess to be Christian are truly regenerate according to the definition of regenerate in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, which I'm going to read. But presumption number one, again, the question is, to what degree does or should our theological worldview shape our worldview of politics? Presumption number one (laughs) within that question is that those who profess to be Christian are truly regenerate to begin with. Mm. And I say that in accordance with John, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, mm-hmm. who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So if you want a solid, orthodox, biblical definition of what it means or what it looks like to be regenerate, there you have it in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. So you know, you mentioned earlier, Omaha, that of those nine responses that I read to Paul Morton's tweet, we could do an episode, an individual episode in each of the, on each of those nine responses and exegete those responses individually. Yeah, we could. That'd be good. We really could do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this, this text here in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, I think this is a text that warrants some exegesis as well because— this text, when you really focus on it and read it within its hermene- its proper hermeneutical context, it really shatters a misnomer out there among a lot of people. Mm-hmm. That is, you've heard people say, right, we're all children of God. Right. You right. heard that. Right? Yep. Yep. Well, John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13 just blows that up. Mm-hmm. Just blows that paradigm up totally because this text makes it clear that it is not those who are born of, of blood or of will of the flesh. That is a physical birth into this world that makes us children of God. Mm-hmm. It is being reborn of God that makes you a child of God. Otherwise, if we were all children of God by physical birth, this verse would not say, okay, that God gave them the right, right. to become, become right. children of God. Right. So we're, none of us is born into this world a child of God. You must mm-hmm. become. Yes. A child of God by virtue of the new birth that God, by his Holy Spirit, monogistically, right, yep. makes effectual in the heart of his elect. Yeah. So if this is if this is a a a a a a uh, a, a matter of confusion for you, uh, I, I encourage you to go back and study John chapter one, 
verses 12 and 13 uh, and prayerfully study that because that's that totally shatters a misnomer that's prevalent uh, really uh, with that, within the church as well. Yeah. We are not yeah. all born. We are not all children of God. You must be reborn as yes. a child of God. So Absolutely. I just want to see that as an aside. But That's great. That's great. But that's presumption number one, that those who profess to be Christian are truly regenerate to begin with. Presumption number two, that is assuming that presumption number one is true, okay, that when we ask the question of Christians, to what degree does or should our theological worldview shape our worldview of politics? We assume, number one, that the, the, the Christians that we're talking to or that the professing Christians who would answer that question are actually Christians. But presumption number two, assuming number one is true, is that the theology to which those regenerate believers subscribe is biblically orthodox. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you have two prevailing presumptions when we ask the question, to what degree should our theology shape our politics? Presumption number one is that you are a, a regenerate believer. Because there's only one kind of believer, and that's a regenerate believer. Right, right. And presumption number two is that the theology that, to which you subscribe is biblically orthodox. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when we look at the question of the influence of theology on our politics, we're assuming those two things. Now, I say all that in view of what theologian Wayne Grudem says in his book, Politics According to the Bible, Understanding Modern Political Issues in Light of Scripture. Grudem argues in that book that as Christians consider where we stand on certain political issues, that we must frame those positions and perspectives in light of such foundational questions as, what does the Bible say about God as creator, about the world he created, about us as human beings created in his image? about sin and about God's purposes for putting human beings on the earth in the first place. Mm -hmm. And it is in light of those kinds of theological questions that I believe Bishop Paul Morton is exhorting Christians to seriously consider specifically as it relates to professing believers who may be inclined to support Democrat presidential candidate beat Pete Buttigieg, the biblical implications and ramifications of aligning politically with a biological male who is quote unquote married, to another biological female. So it is in light of those questions that I refer to with regard to Wayne Grudem coming out of his book. In light of those questions, Morton is asking Christians to seriously consider, as he said in his tweet, do you want to support a man who is quote unquote married to another biological male? So Morton isn't merely suggesting that Christians not support Pete Buttigieg simply because he disagrees with Buttigieg's positions on issues such as taxes, the economy, or foreign policy, for example. Mm -hmm. Those are issues about which people can and are expected to have varying opinions. I get that. Morton is arguing on the authority of God's word and what his word objectively teaches about what marriage is. That's Mm -hmm. where Morton is coming from. Mm -hmm. Now, To place that in somewhat of a broader context, it should be noted that in the presidential elections that were held in 2008 and 2012, millions, literally millions of professing evangelical Christians voted for Barack Obama and no voting bloc supported Obama in greater numbers in terms of percentages during those two election cycles than did black evangelical Christians. Mm -hmm. Okay. They did so. These black evangelical Christians voted for Obama despite the fact 
that Obama openly and blatantly advocated and promoted a view of marriage that was egregiously unbiblical. In fact, in an interview with Robin Roberts of ABC News on May 9, 2012, then President Barack Obama said this, quote, I've just concluded that for me personally, it is important for me to go ahead and affirm that I think same sex couples should be able to get married, unquote. Right. Right. That was then President Barack Obama in May of 2012. Any thoughts, Omaha? Mm -hmm. Lots of thoughts, man. And and I, I appreciate what you did with kind of taking folks through uh, what it means to be regenerate. We, we often um, read polls and studies and where the where quote unquote professed Christians have determined X, Y or Z. And, and, and I think it's important to make the distinction what what you know, that we what we're presupposing in the questions that we're asking. Uh, we're presupposing right. a heart change, not simply someone who's who's saying that, yeah, I'm a Christian. And basically what they mean is that I was born and raised in America rather than, you know, some some foreign country where the predominant religion is is Muslim, you know, or right. or, or the like. And so I think that those are those that's an important thing to to kind of walk through. And, and then that the, that the theology is, is, is orthodox because uh, Buttigieg is, you know, claims to be Christian. Uh, as well, and and his ideological positions, his his theological commitments, uh, seem to belie the fact that that he holds to any orthodox form of Christianity whatsoever. And so, I think all all of those things are important to note. But with regard to Obama, uh, you know, in, in two thousand eight, he knew it was politically correct not to say much about the issue of same sex marriage. Though even prior to that, uh, he he had advocated. Uh, for for civil unions for same sex couples long long before he came out for uh, for that anyway I, I I agree with you completely I also think it's I think it's fair to note and I think what what you did in that was you you noted the absolute hypocrisy being demonstrated by Bishop Paul Morton I mean right. his heart his heart has now changed on the issue he at one time mm -hmm. uh, so called served as as one of the as pre as President Obama's Kind of aid and assistant, uh, uh, and a, a a spiritual advisor uh, for him at one time during uh, during 2012 when when he was uh, then President Obama and and began to shift his opinion and ideas about the issue. So the question is why the change of heart on the issue now? You know, mm -hmm. Obama yeah. Obama Obama felt the same way about the issue of so called same sex marriage. Morton didn't cite a tweet or any warning about oh. about being about being challenged about the idea of voting for Obama a second time around on this basis. So <clears throat> why now is that important? In fact, in fact, B Bishop Morton provided no standard either for for allowing one's faith to inform their decision to vote at all when he delivered his congregants overwhelmingly to Obama during mm -hmm. his presidency. Right. Mm -hmm. However, now he's using Obama as a as a cover concerning his current position. I went back and kind of looked at what what he shared, and, and uh, he had posted this this in a tweet. I'll quote: it "says In 2008, I'm quoting Bishop Paul uh, Paul Morton. He said, quote, in, in 2008, LGBT was hard on President Obama because he held fast and believed in the biblical definition of marriage.' Now, 
I, I, I'd argue about that, but that's a, that's a conversation for a different day. It said, we voted for him overwhelmingly. Never was he called homophobic at the end of the first term. And uh, he e- evolved to believe same-sex marriage. But the Bible has not changed me either. So I'm not homophobic. I'm biblical. And so he, he's, he's using Obama as cover. Uh, hey, Obama felt this way at one point and y'all voted for him. And really, Bishop Morton was the one who delivered black folk over to mm-hmm. Obama because mm-hmm. they at, at the time of, of his black folks have have short memory cycles. OK, because yeah. they, they were not in favor of Obama. He wasn't black enough. I rem, I'm old enough to remember that Obama wasn't black enough to be voted president for by, by, by these folks. And, and they felt Hillary was going to be the one to take him to the promised land. And so mm-hmm. none of these guys who, who are claiming and waving the flag for Obama now were on his bandwagon back then. He he uh, Morton would also tweet this quote. I love President Obama because he changed and 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 caused many of us, many of you rather, to change. And that did not mean I had to. Let me say that again. I love President Obama, but because he changed and caused many of you to change, that did not mean I had to change. The Bible has not changed. I still believe the Bible. In the Bible, God allows you to choose. Your choice is your choice. My choice is my choice. And I have a right to tweet who I think can win and who can't. He, and that, 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 that's the end of the quote. He kind of added, he tweeted that out. After, after receiving a bunch of fire, he's kind of try, trying to fire back and put, put out a little bit of the fire. Anyway, what, what we have is a systematic approach to theology informed by the whims of a particular Democratic candidate, as long as that candidate is Democrat, and especially if they're black. And that's really oh, yeah. what's at, at, the, at the root of the problem. Yeah, and we're going to dig into some of that a little bit later as we progress in this episode. But, man, that was some great information, great background information. Thanks for digging into some of those tweets from Bishop Morton. And we're going to talk a little bit more about Bishop Morton's hypocrisy here in just a few minutes. But notwithstanding that the tweet Paul Morton sent was not addressed to or targeted at any specific ethnic group, one can safely deduce, I believe, and you kind of alluded to this, in what you were just saying, Omaha, one can safely deduce, I believe anyway, especially given that the two churches Morton pastors currently are overwhelmingly black in terms mm-hmm. of the ethnic composition of their congregations. I think one can safely deduce that his tweets were primarily, though perhaps not exclusively, right. directed at voters who identify as black, Democrat, and Christian. Yep. I think we can safely deduce that. Okay? Oh, that's sad. Absolutely. <laughs> especially based on the information that you just gave us, Omaha, going back years about Morton, but that Morton would have that particular demographic in mind, that is the black Democrat Christian demographic, that he would have that particular demographic in mind. It's perfectly understandable, given that 95% of black Americans voted for Obama in 2008, and around that same percentage did so in 2012. Again, they did that despite the fact that Obama himself supported homosexual marriage, okay? Now, when it comes to black professing Christians and politics, it's interesting that the issue of homosexual marriage, and when I use terms like homosexual marriage or same-sex marriage, our listeners should always assume air quotes, okay? Whenever I use those terms, just go ahead and assume that I'm putting those in air quotes. But when it comes to black professing Christians, it's interesting that the issue of homosexual marriage is 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 that one issue that one issue that consistently 
serves as the primary litmus test in determining just how far left black Christians, a group that historically has been perceived to be theologically conservative, yet politically liberal. That issue of homosexual marriage is always that one issue that serves as the litmus test in determining how far left black voters are willing to go in expressing their support for a particular political candidate. For example, on May 17, 2012, the Christian Post ran an article in which it quoted Bishop Harry Jackson Jr., senior pastor at Hope Christian Church in Baltimore, Maryland, as saying that many black Christians were, quote, in an adulterous relationship, unquote, with then-President Barack Obama over the issue of homosexual marriage. Now, in that article, in that Christian Post article, Bishop Jackson is quoted as saying this, quote, Obama laid down the gauntlet on black leaders. The question we are being forced to address is, are you going to be black or be godly, unquote? Okay, that was the uh, Bishop Jackson from the Hope Christian Church in Baltimore, Maryland, in a Christian Post article from May of 2012. Now, it is that same question that I just quoted from uh, Bishop Jackson. That same question is the one that Bishop Paul Morton is, is asking black Democrat Christian voters in the tweet he sent back on November 2nd. Essentially, Morton is asking, are you going to be a black Democrat or are you going to be godly? Are you going to be a Democrat or are you going to be godly? And frankly, that's the question every Christian, not just black Christians, need to answer, regardless of political party allegiance or ideological persuasion in terms of whether one identifies as a liberal, a moderate, or a conservative. The question for the Christian is, to whom are you going to be loyal? Are you going to be loyal to your political allegiance? Or are you going to be loyal to God's word? So it's essentially the question of which came first, right? The chicken or the egg. So when we as Christians step into the voting booth to cast our vote for a particular candidate, which comes first? Our political identity as a Democrat or Republican or our spiritual identity as a follower of Jesus Christ? Now, in asking that question, I'm reminded of the following words from A.W. Tozer in his book, Culture, Living as Citizens of Heaven on Earth. In that book, Culture, Tozer writes this. This is a, this is a somewhat lengthy quote. But I want our listeners to hang in there because I think this is important for them to hear. In, in the book Culture, A.W. Tozer writes this, quote, The Christian faith, based upon the New Testament, teaches the complete antithesis between the church and the world. It is no, it is no more than a religious platitude to say that the trouble with us today is that we have tried to bridge the gulf between two opposites, the world and the church and have performed an illicit marriage for which there is no biblical authority. Actually, not real union between the world and the church is possible. When the church joins up with the world, it is the true church no longer, but only a pitiful hybrid thing, an object of smiling contempt to the world and an abomination to the Lord. The twilight in which many, or should I say most, believers walk today is not caused by any vagueness on the part of the Bible. Nothing could be clearer than the pronouncements of the scriptures on the Christian's relation to the world. The confusion that gathers around this matter results unwillingness 
of professing Christians to take the word of the Lord seriously. Christianity is so entangled with the world that millions never guess how radically they have missed the New Testament pattern. Compromise is everywhere. The world is whitewashed just enough to pass inspection by blind men posing as believers. And those same believers are everlastingly seeking to gain acceptance by the world. By mutual concessions, men who call themselves Christians manage to get on with men who have for the things of God nothing but quiet contempt, unquote. Wow. That was a mic drop by A.W. Tozer from his book, Culture, Living as Citizens of Heaven on Earth. Now, Tozer's reference, Omaha, to men who have for the things of God nothing but quiet contempt is a good segue to something I read recently at ChristianityToday.com. In an article that I saw entitled, Why Black Protestants and Evangelicals Still Preach Politics. In that article from the Christian uh, ChristianityToday.com, they quote <laughs> Chris Butler, mm-hmm. a pastor at Chicago Embassy Church in Chicago, Chicago, Illinois. Pastor Buster uh, Butler, rather, Pastor Butler said this in that article: "Quote, it is okay to be partisan. It is not okay to put partisanship above our faith. Yeah, we can be partisan." But we have to challenge our party from the position of our faith versus putting the party first and subordinating our Christian faith and our biblical beliefs to a party. Unquote. Mm, mm. That was Chris Butler, pastor of Chicago Embassy Church in Chicago, Illinois, from a Christianity Today article entitled Why Black Protestants and Evangelicals Still Preach Politics. Now, I happen to agree with Pastor Butler. But you and I have been around the black church and black politics long enough, Omaha, to know that that's not how most black Christians think when election cycles roll around. Uh, In fact, black voters are the only ethnic voting bloc in America that can with relative certainty be predicted to cast nearly 100 percent of its votes for one political party every election cycle. Okay, you can write that down. In fact, It's been my experience that black voters are the only ethnic voting bloc that deride and disparage others of their own ethnicity who don't follow that model, who don't toe that line. Any thoughts on that, Omaha? I I agree with you, uh, Pastor. And I I agree with Pastor Butler, too, and and what he said. And and to the point you made, I mean, you know, I've been around the black church long enough to know that this is not I mean, that. We, we we put color above the cross. We put, you know, our, our own political points of view above what, what we should be thinking about from a from a biblical standpoint. I mean, it, it's all evident. And again, this is not this is not um, this is not something unique to black church. I mean, we, anybody from any space or place can do it. But sadly and unfortunately, I think the black church has been indoctrinated with critical race theory and black liberation theology for so long that its hermeneutics have been corrupted by the broken lens of sinful racism. And wow. we, we, we've abandoned sound doctrine for sensational emotionalism, which, which speaks to the ever-moving target of our hearts, uh, of, of the hearts of black folks. We, mm. we, we know what Scripture says about trusting our own corrupt human hearts. Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? 
But but we we have a tendency in our circles to rely rather than what you what I think uh, Pastor Butler is trying to get us to do to be informed biblically. We've relied on on our emotion uh, about the issue, and regardless of the issue of ethnicity, we can we can all place political identity you know above and I, sh- I share that above above the above informed theology. But as Christians, man, we have an obligation to think clearly. Uh, about these issues. Something you said at the top of the show, I thought was really, was really key. And I hope our listeners caught it when you said that politics is, is, is theological. Is that, is that what you said? Is that how you said it? All yeah, politics po- for poli- the Christians? Politi- politics is theology. Absolutely. Politics is theology. Absolutely. Inseparable. inseparable. Absolutely. Not, and our political policymaking should be informed by our theological foundation and conviction as evidenced by a, a, a Christian worldview. And the sad truth is far too few Christians have any idea of, of, of that there is even something called a, a biblical worldview or a way to frame, frame things. And scripture is clear that the goal for believers is to be equipped in such a way as not to be tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine. I, I, I thought about this, man, as, as, as I'm kind of put my thoughts together the the Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 14 kind of came to mind I just want to want to quote that because we have a tendency to compartmentalize Christianity and I know you're going to jump into this I just want to I just want to touch it with with regard to what this uh, uh, book chapter verse actually says Ephesians 4 11 through 14 says this and and he gave apostles the prophets the evangelists the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for works of ministry for building up of the body of Christ until we attain unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves of doctrine and carried out by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes now we we and that's ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 14 now we we seem to want to place the notion of of doctrine as something that only takes place inside of the four walls of a church between the hours mm-hmm. of 8 a.m. and 12 you know 12 noon uh, or whatever mm-hmm. the time is of, of, of someone's personal church service after service is over we se- seem to think that we no longer uh, need to remain informed uh, for for the purpose that God would have us to live this life in such a way that honors him 24 7 but that's the furthest thing from the truth. I mean, the the quote that you that you uh, gave earlier by by Tozer, the the idea that uh, that that uh, that Pastor Butler was trying to articulate is that this Christian thing that we're living has has far reaching implications and applications to the to the regular everyday aspect of our lives, rather than simply this thing that we do uh, in isolation and and compartmentalization. That's great stuff, man. I'm glad you shared that, uh, Omaha. And again, you know, you, the point you made earlier was absolutely correct. You know, it's not just it's not that black Christians necessarily have a have the market cornered on this kind of mindset when they go into the booth of putting ethnicity over uh, objective truth. Right. But there is no other ethnic voting block that does that to the degree that they do. Absolutely. That that can be predicted every election cycle. You can write it down. You can bet your mortgage. Yep. There were almost nine, nine and a half out of ten. Nine and a half out of every ten black votes is going to be for one party. party you, every you are time. guaranteed to see that. Yep. Every absolutely. single time. Which now, re- which reminds me, man. On a side note, the woke skulls who tried to claim that James White was racist for saying that many black churches there's absence of sound 
teaching y'all need to stop, man. I mean, y'all yeah. absolutely need to stop. Yeah. You and I both know that far too many predominantly black churches have embraced anti-intellectualism in favor of sentimental, sentimentalism and outright emotionalism as proof that they have the spirit. I mean, we, we need to, people need to stop oh, with these. Oh, char- whoa. Oh, people. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Cue the mascot on this one. <laughs> I mean, we, 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 we've thrown away anti-intellectual, we, we've embraced rather anti-intellectualism and sentimentalism, right? As an outright emotionalism at times is proof that we feel the presence of the spirit. I mean, you, you how many times have, have you heard it said, man, if, 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 if sister so-and-so didn't get a, get a buck in, we didn't have church. Right. I mean, th- that was, that was the benchmark of, of whether or not, of whether or not church was had that day. So, so I mean, people need Go ahead. I was going to say, man, let's, let's, let's get off script here for a second because you, you got me started now here. Now listen, <laughs> let's keep it real here, okay? How many black churches? I, I, I don't recall, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this. I've had over half of my life spent right. in predominantly black churches, okay? I don't recall hearing the word, even hearing the word theology mentioned. Nope. It's not used. That nope. word is not a, use, a word that is commonly used in the pulpits of predominantly black churches. Right. Systematic theology. What is that? Right. Herm- hermeneutics. Who? Herman who? Right. right. You know, I mean, come on, let's keep it real here. So, yep. yeah, those folks who want to call James White out for being racist. I mean, stop. Right. Absolutely. Stop. Absolutely. That, that was a, I, I digress. I just when, when you when you mentioned, I thought, you know, these these folks are are are. are trying to start something that they all we, we they all know especially those in black churches blacks we all know we all know the the reality of that man and 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 ha- and have have been saddened by it disheartened by it desiring to see something different going into those circles and those contexts for the purpose of of providing theological education and training once we've gotten some you know and and gone and gone back into some of those spaces and places but to, but to call someone out as racist for pointing out the, the factual obviousness of something we all know and agree upon is is absolutely ridiculous but i digress indeed we both digress but let me get back on script <laughs> that had to be said i'm glad you brought that up yeah some digressions, some digressions are good some digressions are necessary so i'm glad you brought that up bro that was that was one that was necessary mm-hmm. now notwithstanding the tweet that bishop morton sent and whether or not his tweet could have been worded differently, maybe result <laughs> in the kind of vitriolic responses he received in the in return. Notwithstanding that, mm-hmm. that would be so upsetting to that would be so upsetting to so many people that Morton is urging Black Christians who are leaning towards supporting Pete Buttigieg for president to stand on what the Word of God says about marriage. Mm-hmm. That so many people would be so upset about that says a lot about the spiritual state of the evangelical church in America in general and in the black church in particular. Yeah. Okay. The responses Morton received to the tweet he sent is a case in point that many professing Christians do not hold to a biblical worldview. Yeah. You were talking about it earlier about compartmentalization. And that's exactly what I mean by that. I mean that their theology is compartmentalized in such a way that the word of God is authoritative and applicable applicable rather only to certain aspects of their lives in this world, but not to every aspect. Okay. So that's what I mean. A compartmentalized biblical worldview is that you pick and choose which aspects and areas of your life that you're going to apply (laughs) the word. 
Now, the truth is there exists and has existed for quite some time, particularly among black Christians and within black ecclesiology, a dichotomy that is quite unique when contrasted with other ethnic groups within evangelicalism. The dichotomy is that black Christians motivated by a desire to do what benefits the collective as opposed to what benefits the individual tend to segregate or separate their theological convictions from their political convictions when it comes to who they will support for a political office. Mm -hmm. Such was the case with Barack Obama. One key reason why Obama was elected president in 2008 and subsequently reelected in 2012 is because black evangelical Christians were able to separate and compartmentalize their theological convictions from their political convictions. Right. Right. Hence, hence being motivated to a large extent by the opportunity to make political history by electing a dark skinned person as president of the United States, they had no qualms whatsoever about voting for someone who supported such un biblical positions as abortion on demand, including partial birth abortion, by the way, mm -hmm. and same-sex marriage. Mm -hmm. Now, in other words, solely for the sake of making history, in most cases, they willingly and volitionally set aside and subjugated the clear teachings of Scripture in favor of satiating their own personal desire to see someone elected president whose level of melanin was similar to theirs. Absolutely. That was the only motivation. Yep. But as I said back in 2008 and 2012, to many black Obama supporters, when you talk about making history, it is important to stop to consider what kind of history you're making. Absolutely. Making history isn't enough. You have to ask yourself, what kind of history am I contributing to here? Mm -hmm. Needless to say, such tribalism is what I'm talking about, whether it be rooted in ethnicity or gender or culture or political ideology is no legitimate reason to vote for any person for political office. Amen. Nonetheless, okay, nonetheless, the question remains, where does that kind of tribalistic attitude, particularly among black Christians, come from? Mm -hmm. what, what is the genesis of a mindset that compartmentalizes and partitions theology and politics so as to be convinced that it is more benevolent to vote on the basis of the interests of the collective above those of the individual and to do so regardless of the potential consequences to the collective in whose interests you supposedly are acting. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Now in asking those questions, Omaha, what I'm really talking about here is worldview. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm really talking about here is worldview. The, that is the obligation that believers in Jesus Christ have to view the world and everything in it, including our politics, through the lens of the objective truth of the word of God. Right. Now, I say that in light of what we know from Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Mm -hmm. That's the word of the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, verse 2. Now, a biblical worldview of politics holds that the teachings of Scripture are the primary basis upon which our decisions on whom we will and won't support for political office are to be formed and shaped, not on the basis of our own personal opinions, biases, 
predilections, nor on the basis of the personalities or positions of the individuals whom we may or may not be inclined to support for office. Okay, script the teachings of scripture should shape our view and opinion on those whom we will support or not support for political office. Now, in the case of Pete Buttigieg, what Bishop Paul Morton is exhorting black evangelical Christians to do is precisely what we just read in Romans 12, too. Yep. Morton is exhorting black Christians in the context of Romans 12, too, to decide and con- consider what is go- the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. When we do that, we consider the ethos of biblical marriage that is clearly taught in Scripture against the worldly ethos of marriage that Buttigieg and millions of others adhere and subscribe to. So when we're talking about framing our political paradigm within the context of Romans 12, too, when you do that, when you consider what is the good, acceptable and perfect will of God, then you understand where Bishop Morton is coming from Mm -hmm. with respect to our considering the biblical and standing on the biblical definition of marriage, not the worldly definition or example of marriage that Buttigieg and others are adhering to. Any mm-hmm. thoughts on that, Omar? Lots, man. You you covered a lot of ground in that particular section, and, and I think it's important for for our listeners to to think through uh, what you said. First of all, and most importantly, you're you're challenging and as uh, as even I mean, though we though we couldn't be more ideologically opposed, right? We agree with Bishop Morton in that black folk, any folk, I mean, not just black folk, those who claim to hold to a biblical worldview, those who claim to, who, who claim to be Christian should have a biblical view about what they're doing, about the choices they're making, the decisions that they're engaged in. Earlier at the top of the show, you referenced Wayne Grudem's um, systematic on the issue. Uh, uh, he's got a book that I, I want to encourage our, our listeners. I mean, we got, we, we, we're, we're already tuning up 2020 mm-hmm. and uh, this could be a, a heavy duty political year. Uh, man, for Christmas, you might want to just go go on to Amazon and pick up Politics According to the Bible, a comprehensive resource uh, by Wayne Grudem, and uh, and begin walking through that and marching through that and informing yourself on what it, what it looks like to have a biblical view about issues uh, uh, in, in, in the political realm. Um, Mm -hmm. We we have it for most believers. We have maybe one or two hot button issues. Hey, do they uh, are they are they aborting babies? And and Morton doesn't even have that. And then the issue of marriage. But anything in addition to that, we really begin kind of slow playing where we stand and why we stand on those issues and don't have a biblical frame. I love what what our friend, uh, our mutual friend, Allie, Allie Beth Stuckey does with her show, because what she's doing is she's informing her audience Every single day, I mean, at least three days a week uh, mm-hmm. ab- about how to view culture and politics through mm-hmm. the lens of what Scripture says about it. We do that on this show regularly, right. consistently. Every, every episode, yeah. Every episode. We're wanting to take a cultural, political, uh, theological you know, issue and, and a social issue and walk it through a biblical lens we want you to be equipped with a biblical worldview we're saying that that the, that the that the biblical worldview has explanatory power the mm-hmm. biblical worldview has explanatory power there's nothing outside of the framework of what we're going to experience in life that that scripture doesn't speak to in some way shape or form right. and we have we as believers we have an obligation 
to know what that is, what God's word says about it so that we can align our lives rightly. So that's 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 the clarity of what I, I just wanted to amplify what you'd already said in a way and maybe provide a, a resource or tool that that others can go uh, and take a look at, but that man, that's that's what we that's why we do what we do. That's why friends like like Ali Beth Stucky, do, you know, do does w- what she does with her show. And there's other great tools and resources that are out there that that are intending to do that in a in a powerful way. Indeed, great stuff, Omaha. You know, we think about how Romans twelve two and the principle of the renewed mind should influence how believers in Christ approach the, the sphere of politics. I'm reminded of what uh, that great reformed theologian Herman Bavink wrote in his mm. book entitled Worldview. Mm-hmm. Bavink says this. This is from his book, Christian Worldview. Bavink said this, quote, neither is religion a romantic mood, an aesthetic affection of the heart, a means to the adornment of our human nature, as though God were there for our sake and we were not here for his sake. Mm-hmm. But religion is more. Religion is more, Bavink says. It is something different from and higher than mm-hmm. all these together. Right. It is to serve God with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your might to make oneself a living and holy sacrifice pleasing to God. It is to trust unconditionally in God as the rock of our salvation and of our portion in eternity. Mm-hmm. The truth is objective, Bavink says. The truth is objective. It exists independently of us. It does not direct itself toward us. We have to direct ourselves toward it. But just as the wisdom of God became flesh in Christ, Mm -hmm. so should the truth also enter us. In the path of freedom, listen to this from Bavink. In the path of freedom, it must become our personal and spiritual property, truth that is. In the path of freedom, truth must become our personal and spiritual property. Mm. Through a living and true faith, it must become constitutive of our thinking and doing and then spread outside us until the earth is full of the knowledge of the Lord. Man, that's awesome. If, if, you want a biblical, if you want a definition of a biblical worldview, there you have it from Herman Bavink. Yeah. Right there in that last sentence. He says truth, biblical truth, must become constitutive (laughs) thinking and doing. When he says constitutive, he means from from the inside, in the heart, that we see everything, everything, a panoramic view of the world through the lens of Scripture. Babbitt said that truth must become constitutive of our thinking and doing and then spread outside us until the earth is full of the knowledge of the Lord. So to sum up, Bavink is saying that the truth of the word of God should guide believers in every aspect and avenue of our existence in this world. Mm. Or to put it differently, those who profess to be Christians should strive to apply a biblical worldview to the issues and matters that encompass our life in this temporal world. That is exactly what Bavink means when he says that the truth of God's word must become constitutive of our thinking and doing. That's good. That's good. Bavik's thoughts, thoughts, Omaha, are similar to what John Calvin wrote in his Institutes of the Christian Religion. Calvin said this, quote, he said, every Christian should so train himself as to think that as long as he lives, it is with God that he must deal. Mm. This 
knowing this, Calvin says, he will be ready to account to God for all his actions. His purposes will comply. That is our, that is man's, the Christians, the Christian's purposes will comply with God's will and be rooted in it. Okay, let me read that again. Calvin said every Christian should so train himself as to think that as long as he lives, it is with God that he must deal. Mm-hmm. Knowing he will be ready to account to God for all his actions, his purposes will comply with God's will and be rooted in it. That takes us again back to Romans 12, 2. What mm-hmm. is the acceptable and perfect will of God? That's exactly what Calvin is saying, is that our purposes will comply with God's will. In other words, our purposes will comply. All of our purposes in this life will comply with what is good, acceptable, and perfect in the eyes of God. So we really need to seriously consider what Bishop Paul Morton is, Morton is saying in light of those words from Calvin, as well as from Herman Bavick. Doctrinally, there are many things with which I disagree with Bishop Morton on. For, for example, he is a full gospel Pentecostal continuationist, okay? <laughs> Whereas I am a, a reformed cessationist who subscribes to the doctrines of grace. Mm-hmm. Morton and I couldn't possibly be on more opposite ends of the theological spectrum. Right. But, but on this matter of, of black Christian voters— and Christian voters in general, standing on the biblical definition of marriage, he's absolutely right. Right. Now, that said, however, I'm not going to let Bishop Morton off the hook so easily here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, what I mean is that I find it interesting that Morton chose to point out Buttigieg's homosexual marriage as the primary reason why black Christians should withhold their support from him in 2020, as opposed to pointing out that Buttigieg also is an ardent supporter of abortion. Mm-hmm. Abortion has decimated black families more than any other ethnic group in this country mm-hmm. since Roe v. Wade in 1973. According to the Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, nearly 40% of all abortions have involved black children. Now think about that. Right. Since Roe v. Wade in 1973, according to the Centers for Disease Control, nearly 40%, that's four, out of every 10 abortions have involved black children. Why didn't Morton mention that as a reason why black Christians shouldn't vote for Buttigieg? Or how about the 77% of children born to black single mothers? Mm. Bishop Morton, you you can't be selectively indignant about sins that black Christians should be mindful of and not others. See, that's called hypocrisy where I come from. You see, so I just find it interesting. I just want to say as an aside, I find it interesting, and you pointed this out early in the episode, Omaha, going back to some of Morton's tweets from years ago, yep. how he conveniently, conveniently adjusted his rationale yeah. to explain away his support for Barack Obama, a man who openly and, and aggressively touted abortion on demand and same-sex marriage. I just think it's interesting that Morton, in this tweet from November 2nd, chose to point out Buttigieg's homosexuality. As the, as the primary reason why black voters should not support him, mm-hmm. as opposed to mentioning that Buttigieg supports abortion or that Buttigieg hasn't said anything about the 77 percent of children who are born to black single mothers mm-hmm. or the four out of every 10 abortions being black abortions. I just think Morton is being hypocritical oh, in absolutely. what he's not saying. Yeah. OK, 
what he's not saying. Any thoughts on that, man? Absolutely. The hypocrisy is there. And I mean, you, you see it if you, going back to some of his tweets, I, I, based upon what he what he tweeted uh, just this past week, he said, I love President Obama. I'm quoting from from Paul, uh, Bishop Paul Morton's tweet. He says, quote, I love President Obama, but because he changed and caused many of you to change that that did not mean I had to. The Bible has not changed. I still believe the Bible. Right. In the Bible, God allows you to choose your choice is your choice. My choice is my choice. And I have a right to tweet who I think can win and who can't. So, again, with the language of of uh, of, of the Bible allows you to choose and you to choose and choose and your choice and my choice. All of that speaks to uh, while while he's making a a biblical stance in one on one end. He's going to I already know I could I could all but guess based upon this tweet alone, where he's going to stand on the mm-hmm. issue of abortion. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he's, he, he's, he's, he's tweeting uh, his, his theology right there. It's a theology of choosing and choice rather mm-hmm. than an informed idea about the Imago Dei, that we're created in the image of God, deserving of distinct value, dignity, and worth. And as a result, we're not going to take a, a child and crush its skull in the womb out of convenience. I mean, he, right. he, he, there's, an, there's a lack of, it, again, it goes back, man, to what we talked about. There's, a, there's the anti-intellectualism and the emotional appeal. He knows that in, in, in most, quote unquote, traditional church black circles, still yet to, to some small degree, there's this modicum of, of, of righteousness, self-righteousness, at least, that says a man and a man, you know, being married, that's still, uh, we still, we still think that's wrong. Uh, yeah. while, while at the same time, he recognizes that th- there's a hardness of heart to the issue of murdering children in the womb or mm-hmm. Or, or the idea that a father should be present in the life of a, of a child to the degree that we would call him fornicating with a bunch of different women sinful. Because now that might, that might land itself in the, in the saying something about some preachers who might be in, in doing the same kinds of behavior. Bro, hold on a second. Cue the mask now, please. <laughs> be three on that one. I mean, right. we, we, we'd have to we'd have to we'd have to have a really full, robust look at what pastors are doing in these predominantly feminine, predominantly female-driven churches that yeah. they're pastoring without men uh, to whom the pa- the pastor is not saying a word about with all these babies that are showing up in the you know in in the uh, at the church. And again, I, I, I'm simply saying that we're, we're going to appeal to that which is emotive. And right. so th- there's still those things that are emotional that, that he can get an emotional charge about. So that's what he does rather than informing folk about the full breadth and depth of the, of the biblical anthropology, uh, of, of, of what, it, what it means to, to, to walk in a, in a way that, that honors God with our bodies, uh, you know, what, it, what it means for, for a woman to wait until marriage to have sex. I mean, all of those factors are absent from what, he, it, you know, from, from, his, from, from what he's sharing. You choose what you choose. Your choice is your choice. My choice is my choice. That way I can, I can ignore that which the Bible speaks to that would cause any problem in my congregation. Yeah, that gives him an out. It does. That gives him a little, a little loophole to wiggle through yep. when the time comes. You know, uh, as I listen to you, Omaha, I'm reminded of something the great 19th century preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon said in a sermon entitled The Candle. 
Uh, Spurgeon preached this sermon entitled The Candle back on April 24th, 1881. Mm-hmm. In that sermon, Spurgeon said this, quote, he said, I long for the day when the precepts of the Christian religion shall be the rule among all classes of men in all transactions. He's talking mm-hmm. about biblical that's exactly mm-hmm. what's saying. I long for the day when the precepts of the Christian religion shall be the rule among all classes of men in all transactions. I often hear it said, Spurgeon said, I often hear it said, do not bring religion into politics. This is precisely where it ought to be brought. Man, I want men who talk like that. I, I want I want men who talk like that today. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. This I didn't mean Spurgeon. to interrupt you. I, just, I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I'm just responding to what you're, what you're, what you're quoting, man. That, that, that's what we need today. And you know what? I think about, let me, let me finish the quote, and then I'm going to say something sure. that Uh-oh. I'm going to digress again, so get ready. So okay. Spurgeon said, he says, I long for the day when the precepts of the Christian religion shall be the rule among all classes of men in all transactions. I often hear it said, do not bring, relig- do not bring religion into politics. This is precisely where it ought to be brought, Spurgeon said, and set there in the face of all men as on a candlestick. Love quote. It. Love it. Again, so that's from Spurgeon's uh, sermon called The Candle from April 24th, 1881. Now, I'm going to address uh, digress here for a second, because when you said that that's the kind of men we need today, mm-hmm. we need men who will stand up and speak like that. Mm-hmm. I think about the whole uh, go home uh, yep. firestorm. that. Yep. I- when John MacArthur uh, preached, uh, I'm sorry, spoke at the Truth Matters conference yep. in response to a question uh, that he was asked during a Q&A right. uh, during uh, that, that session mm-hmm. and how he came back a couple of weeks ago and preached an absolute masterful yep. sermon. Yep, I heard why, that. You posted uh, it. You, you tweeted that out. I think I, I, it, I listened to it, it from your tweet. I did. An absolutely masterful sermon mm-hmm. on does the Bible allow women uh, to preach? And see, it takes courage to preach a sermon like that. Mm-hmm. It takes courage because right now, what's lacking in the in the church and the evangelical church in America is courage. Yeah, the evangelical church in America is full cowards right now, mm-hmm. full of cowards. And I'm talking about the men. Yes, we we have men cowering to movements. Movements that, that, that come and go as opposed to just standing on the word of God, on the objective truth of the word of God. We have been cowering to secular movements that are infiltrating the church and they are subjugating the gospel to the secular whims of the world. Mm-hmm. Should not be doing that. We should be able to stand on the word of God. And this is exactly what Spurgeon is saying. Absolutely. Here it said, do not bring religion into politics. You know who else says that? People from our own pulpit say that same thing. Mm-hmm. Don't bring religion into politics. Well, you know, you know who gets away with that verse? You know who gets away every election cycle with bringing politics into the pulpit? It's black churches. Yes, you, can bring, you, you can bring any candidate <laughs> running dog catcher all mm-hmm. the way to the president of the United States. If that person is a Democrat. Absolutely. If that person is a, a Democrat. Mm-hmm. You Black churches have them in their pulpit speaking all the time. Yep. Do you have the IRS on their back? No. 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 No, no. You guys aren't violating your nonprofit status by doing that. Oh, no. Black churches do this all the time. Okay. 
In fact, I've read recently that Democrat presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg is spending significant amounts of money in an outreach effort to black voters in the South mm-hmm. with a particular focus on Georgia and South Carolina. Matter of fact, he has an, an event coming up in Atlanta, I think, here shortly uh, before the end of the year. Now, one specific promise Buttigieg has made that will undoubtedly find wide appeal among that particular demographic, that is black voters. One promise he's made that will find wide appeal upon that uh, within that demographic is his pledge to, quote, fight systemic racism wherever we find it, unquote. Oh my gosh. Good night. Now, Buttigieg's pledge is an admirable one. OK, I will say that after all, who of us does not desire to live in a society that functions within a paradigm of objective truth and justice? Mm-hmm. No one. No one wants wants an in, unjust society. Right. But notwithstanding his promise to ferret out and rid this nation of systemic racism, I wonder what does candidate Buttigieg intend to do about the intra-ethnic racism that is expressed on an almost daily basis by black people toward other black people? Right, right. <laughs> what does he intend to do about that? You see, Omaha, that's the proverbial, proverbial elephant in the room. Right. The intra-ethnic racism that is expressed on an almost daily basis by black people toward other black people. Right. That's the elephant in the room that no one wants to talk about Mm -hmm. when it comes to racism and discrimination in America. Mm -hmm. Listen, the worst prejudice I've ever experienced in my life has been at the hands of other black people Mm who look just like me, not some white person. Right. No white person has ever referred to me as coon or Uncle Tom, or House Nigger. But there have been plenty of black people over the years who have done that. What does Buttigieg plan to do about that? Right. Any thoughts, Omaha? It's, it's, I mean, this is irritating. I mean, I, I think you're right. Yeah, I pledge to fight systemic racism wherever we find it. This, this is the... the this is... I mean, this, I don't even know how to... I don't even know how to describe this foolishness. Uh, that they serve up to black folks. It's like it's like porridge that they serve up to black folks every four years that they lap up in an effort to go pull the, you know, pull the lever for these candidates only for them to be gone as soon as that's done. And then the whole the that's, whole process to start all over again. You know, if you ever read Oliver Twist, have you seen that? It's Oliver Twist. And it's a part of the story where Oliver Twist is in this orphanage mm-hmm. and it's a it's a mean orphanage run by a, a very mean and evil overseer. They give them barely enough to eat, and right. then Twist had the nerve. When once you're done eating, you never ask for seconds. That's the rule. But Oliver, little Oliver Twist, little hungry thin Oliver Twist, takes his uh, metal pan up to the overseers overseers, and he he says, "Please, sir, may I have some more?" Right. Every every election cycle. Black voters come to the Democrats. Oh, please, sir. May we have some more? Please, ma'am. Give, give us some more promises. Oh give, us some, give us some more empty promises that you're not going to fulfill. Absolutely. Every every four years. And so it's 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 saddening to me. And to the point you made earlier, Buttigieg, he's, there's nothing. he's He has no ability to do anything about, about, about any of that. He is not he is not God. He is not going to change the racism in the heart of any individual. He has no ability whatsoever to, 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 to do anything about it. Um, it's, it's an empty promise uh, that, that unfortunately far too many are still um, mesmerized by. And to the other point that you made, 
like you, I have I have not had if you know if if we're counting the degrees, it's not even it's not even close the kind of names I've been called by other black folks who look who are supposed to look like me and who no. it's it's not it's not even it's not even a close second. Uh, right. I've been called so many crazy chaotic things by 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 black folks. Coon, house Negro, house nigger, uh, Uncle Tom. Uh, I mean, I, Sambo, uh, yeah. Oreo. I mean, yeah. the, the list goes on. And and listen, at the end of the day, I I really don't care. I don't know how those people think that they're bothering me by the name calling. I mean, it, it, it's so it's so trite and stupid and tired. But I, if if that's the benchmark of offense that that we're going to that we're going to use for the culture well the the uh, the, the offend the offend uh the, the offense has been aimed at me from other black folks so yeah you know uh when all is said and done omaha what black christian voters has to have to ask themselves is this is a mere promise to address systemic racism or pay off your student loan debt <laughs> are those promises worth compromising on the fact that Buttigieg is married to a man. Mm. Are those promises worth compromising the gospel? Your gospel mm. went on that. That's Are a good question. Is it worth it? That's when a you good question. Consider, when you really consider that sinful ethnic prejudice, this is exactly what you just said, Omaha. Mm-hmm. When you consider that sinful ethnic prejudice is fundamentally a matter of changing hearts right. and not laws, You'll come to realize that there is very little any politician can do to rip that societal malady. Once you come to your senses, you're going to realize that's exactly what you just said, Omaha. Right, right, no right. Politician, no politician has the power to change the heart. None. Mm-mm. Zero. Okay. So there's very little Buttigieg or anyone can do. It doesn't matter whether that politician is the president of the United States mm-hmm. or the local school board president. They have no power over that. That is a heart issue. Right. Okay? It's just as John MacArthur said in his book, Christ's Call to Reform the Church. Mm-hmm. Christ's Call to Reform the Church, John MacArthur writes this, quote, political and social justice efforts are, at best, short-term external solutions for society's moral ills, and they do nothing to address the personal, internal dominant matter of sinful hearts that hate God yes. and can be rescued from eternal death only by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's that, that's, that says it all in a nutshell right there. I mean, political and social justice efforts are best short-term external solutions for society's moral ills, and they can do nothing to address the personal, internal, dominant matter of sinful hearts that Thank hate God. That's the issue. That's it. And 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 all, all everything outside of that, it, it, outside of understanding that reality, that truth, that this is a gospel issue, and that it, and that it is the gospel that changes changes and transforms hearts. The politician is not the one who is going to be the savior. Uh, the, it, it is absolutely Christ Himself transforming the human heart and seeing change take place. The, the best that we can do is be those who express and explain the gospel and the hope that God would use it to turn men's hearts unto himself. That's that's it. Amen. You know, I keep saying, you know, you think back to something we were speaking to earlier in this episode where you have 
black voters voting almost 100 percent every election cycle for one party. It just reminds me of something. I wrote a blog article on this once where I made the statement that saviors aren't elected. Yes, yes. Saviors aren't elected. When you have 96%, between 95 and 96% of millions within one ethnic voting bloc continually and consistently voting for one party, that's not power. That's slavery. That's slavery. (laughs) You to give your vote to one particular party. That's slavery. Especially when you, when are you going to realize you're not getting anything in return? Now, let me say this too, because somebody's going to hear me say that, oh, you're just a conservative Republican. You know, you're just promoting the the Republican uh, agenda. No, I would say that the same logic applies to if, 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 if almost 100% of black voters were voting for the Republican party. That is absolute slavery, especially when you don't get anything in return. That tells me for some reason, and this includes black evangelical Christians who are in that 95, 96%. Y'all right. are still for a savior somewhere. Right, right. Stop looking. The job of savior is already taken. Okay. Yeah. It was sealed about 2000 years ago. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, that job was taken. There is no job opening. There will be no job opening. Saviors <coughs> are elected. Just Amen. think about it. You have Amen. to elect your savior. Yeah. That's really savior, is it? Nope. So, so again, the conversation we've been having in this in the, uh, this episode of the Just Thinking podcast has to do <laughs> with issues that are much larger than political party affiliation or allegiance. Okay, that's good. That's it good. To, it has to do with the degree to which professing believers in Christ will govern themselves by an all-encompassing biblical worldview. Mm-hmm. That applies to every aspect of their existence in this world, including politics, mm-hmm. or if they're going to be governed by a worldview that is analogous to children playing hopscotch, where you skip over the politics box. <laughs> hopscotch, you play hopscotch before, right? Right, Vern? Yes, yes, yes. We've all played hopscotch. Hopscotch, you know, so, so are we going to live by a, a holistic, all-encompassing biblical worldview? Right. Or are we going to live by a worldview that is analogous to children playing hopscotch where you skip over the politics box right. on the hopscotch grid? Because that's what that's the one area of your life to which the principles and precepts of God's words do not apply. Right. I'm going to skip <laughs> over that hopscotch. I'm going to help over that politics block on the right. grid. Right. So, 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 yeah. So when you if, if that's how you shape your politics, you compartmentalize your politics from your theology. You have a hopscotch theology. Right. You're just going to skip over one block box. And, and listen, we do that in other areas as well. Okay. And let me, let me, let me get real with y'all. We skip over that. We, we, we have a hopscotch theology when it comes to fornication, sex outside of marriage. That's good. Right. That's, that's another elephant in the room that the church needs to start talking more about. Yep. Okay. We have a hopscotch theology when it comes to women in the pulpit. Mm-hmm. Okay, God's word is clear on that. No, but I'm going to put a rock on my on that one on my hopscotch grid, and I'm just going right. to hop into that one. Right, right, right. right. So, I mean, yeah. So, yeah. So, you either live by a, an all-encompassing biblical worldview, or you play hopscotch with God's word. Right. So, you know, when it comes to politics, the question is, what is a Christian to do? What is a Christian to do when it comes to politics? Well, 
consider these words in answer to that question. Consider these words of wisdom from the renowned Princeton and Westminster theologian J. Gresham Machen from his classic book Christianity and Liberalism. Verge, have you read that? You've read that. I have not. Re- I have not read that. Shame one. on you. Shame on you, bro. Yeah, yeah, I have not read that one. J. Gresham Machen, in his uh, this is classic. His classic work, Christianity and Liberalism, said this quote. If the word of God be heeded, the Christian battle will be fought both with love and with faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Party passions, he said, party passions and personal animosities will be put away. But on the other hand, even angels from heaven will be rejected if they preach a gospel different from the blessed gospel of the cross. Now, listen to this. Machen closes that, uh, that, that comment with this. He says, every man must decide upon which side he will stand. God grant that we may decide aright, unquote. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that last sentence of that quote applies to every single Christian within the sound of my voice. We asked the question early at the top of the episode, right? We need to, th- those two presumptions that I was talking about, right? Yes. Yep, yep. The first presumption was that the person who professes to be a Christian is truly regenerate. Okay. The second presumption was that does the orthodoxy to which is the orthodoxy to which that professing Christian holds. Is it truly orthodox? Uh If the answer to both of those presuppositions is yes, those presumptions is yes. Then what Machen is saying here should be a no brainer. Every man must decide upon which side he will stand. For the regenerate Christian, that side has to be on the side of God's word, even if it goes against your political tribalist tradition. Okay? And to the degree that the black church, black evangelical Christians, automatically, as if robotically, vote for one party every election, even when it goes against God's word and the Democrat Party platform is about egregiously unbiblical as you can get. They are dogmatic about abortion on demand, even partial birth abortion. They are dogmatic about promoting the LGBT lifestyle. They are dogmatic about normalizing Uh, same-sex marriage and transgenderism. You can't tell me. You have no justification whatsoever. There is no apologetic that you can give me that will stand the test of the word of God that justifies a Christian voting for any politician. I don't care what side of the aisle they're on that espouses or promotes that kind of agenda. You just can't do it. Any last thoughts, Omaha, to close this out? Man, I, I think this sums it up. I think it provides for our listeners just a good process by which to walk back through. They're going to be informed by a biblical worldview and understand that it speaks to the full breadth, depth, width, height, length of the Christian experience and that it should inform the manner in which we we vote, period. And, and, and we shouldn't be apologetic about that. We shouldn't be squeamish or nervous or uh, unclear 
about that issue. I, I love the, the quote from Spurgeon that you read with regard to that, that that should be our light. That should be our guiding principle by which we determine what we are are to do and are not to do. The sermon entitled The Candle. By the way, man, I, you, you'd ask me if I had if I had read uh, uh, Nature's work, uh, Christian Christianity and, and, and liberalism. Mm-hmm. I, ha- I haven't I haven't read that just yet. Um, uh, man, I'm, it's funny because while I'm trying to finish up uh, seminary, there's all kinds of there's a stack of stuff that I want to read. And there's the stack of stuff I have to read. And so I'm, I'm still Got waiting. It. You know what I mean? Still still waiting. Exactly what you mean? Yeah. <laughs> trying to trying to get through half of that. But there, again, and last last time we talked, man, you you'd given me. Uh, the info on Peter Jones's The Other World View. And I, I quickly grabbed uh, those two books and I'm walking through those. And then I saw you had, you had put something else out on uh, on Twitter, the, the diversity yeah. delusion. Diversity delusion, yes. Yeah, I'm 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 about I'm like five or six chapters into that, and so man, I I I was joking with you, but at the same time, I'm not. I'm just trying to keep up, man. Just trying to keep up with all of the. So I I say that for our listeners' uh, benefit as well, man. Listen, we pour a lot of energy, time, and work into what we're putting together here. My hope would be that with all the quotes. Uh, and some of the things that you're hearing, books that are being referenced, ideas and thoughts that if you have an interest, don't be lazy about your theological education. Yes. Uh, Man, and, that's, you know, that's so good. Can you say that again, bro? Absolutely. Absolutely. Don't don't be apathetic and lazy about your theological education. Don't don't simply allow us to be the only source by which you you obtain and gain and learn from. Allow us to be a resource for you that points you to other works from men who are who've thought longer and harder and and, and have greater ideas about this uh, than we have and that are shaping our points of view with regard to the biblical worldview. So go back, listen to the listen to the, the, the not only this episode but other episodes and write down some of the books and some of the ideas and names and go find this stuff, read it so that you can be incredibly informed about what it is uh, we're talking about. So I, I wanted to share that, let folks know I'm in the same process, man, as, as I hear things that Daryl may share uh, that, that I, you know, I, like I said, I've got a stack of stuff I have to read and a stack of stuff I'd love to read. And so I'm trying to get through uh, all of those at the same time. But, uh, but man, I just want to encourage our readers to be active participants in their theological education and uh and and to use our our show this show in particular just thinking as a resource for helping them do just that so man it's been great walking through this with you and uh and and to our 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 fans and those who listen to the show thanks so much for checking in with us uh looking forward to another opportunity uh, to catch up with you next time on the just thinking podcast